Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn again today to Acts chapter 2. And we've we've really, you know, finished up with the main part of the sermon and where we've come down to. Then you see Peter, Peter ended really with his conclusion in verse 36 where he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we saw last time how it says in verse 37 that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, last time we sort of of backed up and took kind of a broad overview of where this nation of Israel was uh, in the, you know, in the flow of events as Peter's preaching to them here. We saw how uh, throughout their history they had been rebellious and disobedient towards God. And here uh, you see they have been so disobedient that they've even killed the Son of God. And so Peter preaches this message, condemning them for that crucifixion of Christ and warning them about the judgment to come on that nation as a result of it. And you see how that, uh, for for many of the men that were there, uh, it was something that pricked their hearts. And they realized there there was something that was required on their part. Uh, they realized their mistake, and there was something that, um, that, that was required of them. And so when they ask, what shall we do? Peter's answer is, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And he says, you'll receive the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, um, that, that message, really, when Peter, when Peter says, repent and be baptized... Uh, there's not much difference between that message and what was being preached leading up to the cross. Remember, the message of John the Baptist was, repent and be baptized. Uh, The message that Christ taught the disciples to teach as he sent them out to teach was, repent and be baptized. And here after the cross, Acts chapter 2, the message is still, repent and be baptized. Now, the, the one addition here is that Peter says, repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, that hadn't been given previously because you're seeing a a new working here of the Holy Spirit there on that day of Pentecost. And so from from Pentecost forward, that that promise of the Holy Ghost uh, is given to those who who respond to the preaching of that gospel. Now, we're, we're going to spend most of this week talking about repentance. All right, he begins by saying, repent. And, you know, we need, to, we need to have some understanding about what repentance is. Oftentimes, the definitions that are given of repentance don't match what the Bible says about repentance. And, and you know, this is, a, this is an important issue. Uh, for instance, there's a, there's a debate uh, that goes on about whether um, today in the dispensation of grace is repentance 
necessary for salvation, or is it just just belief that's necessary for salvation? And even the question itself, I think I think you'll see as we look at really what repentance is. The question itself assumes a wrong definition of repentance. Uh, if I were to to ask today, you know ask for, for definitions of the word, there are certain things that, that you probably hear. One of the definitions you often hear is that to repent means to turn from sin, right? There may be some of you who, when you think of the word, that's, that's what you think of, to turn from sin. Uh, some, some would have kind of, a, kind of a looser definition of just being sorry for sin. But, but there's often this idea in most people's mindset about what repentance is, that it has this idea of, you know, being sorry for sin, turning from sin, um, that, that kind of thing. Uh, in fact, often what happens in people's minds is that there's, there's some words that are very similar that people, that people uh, kind of mix up. Another word that especially is confused with repentance is a word that isn't really found in the Bible. Now, it's found in religion, but it's not found in the Bible, and that is the term penance. All right? Now, some of you come out of a religious background where uh, you would, you, in, that, in that religion, you were taught that to get forgiveness, you had to go to a priest, and you would confess your sins to the priest, and he would give you penance to do. He would give you something to do, whether it was repeating a prayer a certain number of times, whether it was giving some money, whether it was, you know, going and helping somebody. And, and there was something you had to do. And on the condition that you would do that thing, he would grant you absolution. He would grant you forgiveness of your sin. Okay. And penance has the idea of, of doing something, doing something you don't want to do in order to sort of work off your sin, work off the guilt of your sin. Now, that's something you don't find anywhere in the Bible. Uh, you don't find the word penance in the Bible. But when people hear the word repentance, whether, whether they think of it as, a, as an internal thing or an external act, they, many people, I'm, I'm convinced, and again, even Bible-believing Christians, when they see the word repentance, they think of something they do to sort of afflict themselves for their sin and, and, and work off that sin. Now, this is why there's a debate in some circles about whether repentance is needed for salvation, because they assume the wrong definition. And then they know that penance isn't needed for salvation. They know you can't work off your sin. They know that through, through sorrow or afflicting yourself internally or externally, you can't pay the, the price of your sin. And so they argue against that wrong definition and say repentance isn't necessary for salvation. All right? But keep in mind, that's a wrong definition. That's not the biblical definition of what repentance is. Uh, you know, often in talking about repentance... The focus is only put on sins. And in fact, one of the definitions that many people would give for repentance is to turn from sin. Now, there's some problems with that definition. If repent means to turn from sin, we've got some problems with some, some passages of Scripture. Um, go back, for instance, to Genesis chapter 6. Go back to Genesis chapter 6 and notice how the word repentance is used here, the word repent. Uh, Genesis 6, of course, is uh, the, the chapter where the Lord tells Noah that he's going to bring a flood on the earth. It talks about the wickedness of the earth. And you see in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And what? It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him 
at his heart. Now, you see there's an element of sorrow there. In this case, the Lord is sorrowing over the fact that he even, even created man on the earth. Uh, he's, not, he's not sorrowing about the creation as a whole, but it's man that's the problem there. Man is the problem on the earth, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. Now, was God, when God created man on the earth, was God creating a sinful act that he needed to repent of? No, he created man, and he, and he pronounced everything he created good. All right? So, so the idea that repentance just means a turn from sin, if that's our definition, um, we have a problem here in a verse like this. Go over to Jeremiah 18. I'll show you another example. Jeremiah 18. You know, what you do see from a passage like that is you do see there's an element of sorrow. You see as well that there's an element of a, of a change. Uh, there is a turning that takes place there. But look at Jeremiah 18, and we'll just, here's another example of, of God repenting. Um, if you see in Jeremiah 18, verse 7, it says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Now here's the Lord speaking. Uh, realize the word evil here is not used in the sense of moral evil. Um, evil here is used just, just in the sense of, if you look it up in a, in a Bible dictionary, look up, uh, look up the Hebrew word that's used there. It's a, it's a word that means calamity. It means disaster, right? So here the Lord's describing a situation where he's prophesied judgment on a nation. He's told them he's going to cause bad things to happen to them. And they, he says, if they turn from their evil, he says, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Um, but notice verse 9, he says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good, wherewith I said I would benefit them. You see, God here talks about repenting, and he does talk about repenting of evil, repenting of, of something that would have been disastrous for the for the people that he had pronounced judgment on. He also talks about repenting of good. Okay, so, so do you see from things like this that the definition of repent as to turn from evil is insufficient. It doesn't match the way the Bible uses the term. Okay, not only that, uh, go, go over to Hebrews chapter 6 and notice something about repentance in Hebrews chapter 6. It's a mistake to place all of the emphasis in repentance on sin, on the bad things that people have done. Um, certainly there's a repentance that, that uh, you know, is necessary toward those things, but notice what Hebrews chapter 6 says. Verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God. Now certainly you could look at, you know, what most people would consider sins and, and say those things are dead works, right? Uh, certainly murder and theft and adultery and those things are dead works. But realize there's much more included in dead works than just those things. Do you realize that the religious works that people perform are likewise dead works, right? Here when it talks about repentance from dead works, dead works are the the... Uh, you could say the fruit of a, of a dead person. 
And that old man that's dead in trespasses and sins, all the old man can produce are dead works. Not only are the old man's failures dead works, but the old man's successes are dead works too. The old man's greatest, you know, greatest uh, success and, and greatest accomplishments are dead works. When we think of, of repenting just from sin, again, you know, people think of things like lying. They think of, of people that they've hurt and that kind of thing. But realize that when you talk about true biblical repentance, it's not just a repentance from those things, but it's a repentance of the good things too. It's a repentance of all of those dead works, all of those things that don't mean anything in the sight of God. It's a, a repentance of those righteousnesses even that Isaiah says are as filthy rags before God. Right? So, so to just talk about repenting from sins and just to, to tell, for instance, in a gospel tract, to tell the sinner that they need to repent of their sins. Now, the reality is all the dead works are sins. But in somebody's mind, when you tell them you need to repent of sins, what do they think of? They think of, again, those ways they've hurt people. They don't think of all the things they're proud of in their life. But what did, what did Paul tell that moralizer in Romans chapter 2? He needed to be led to repentance. Here there needs to be a repentance of, from dead works. And you see what the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, he says the foundation, he, what he's doing is here at the beginning of, of chapter 6, he's kind of, there's kind of a segue, he's changing topics. And he's saying, okay, we're going to leave behind these things that, that we've already talked about, this foundation, these foundational things of what he says are repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. You see works, you see the, you see the contrast there between works and faith? Faith in God requires a repentance from dead works. You can't be holding on to your works, good or bad, and have faith in God, Right? It, it, faith in God is a repudiation of those works. And the works are a repudiation of faith in God. The one who's holding on to his works, we saw in Romans 2, is despising the goodness of God that leads him to repentance. And so, so understand that when it comes to repentance, it's not just a repentance from, from bad works, it's a repentance from all the works of the flesh. And here you see he calls that the foundation. The writer of Hebrews says that's the foundation. He says we're not going to lay that, that foundation again. We're going to go on to talk about some other things from there. And so there's a repentance there from dead works. And often, I'll tell you, it's much easier to repent just, you know, just in the natural, natural flesh. It's much easier to repent of the things you know are wrong than to repent of the things that you know are good and right. Okay? So, so again, I hope you see here that repentance is much more than just being sorry for your sins or, or even turning from your sins. Uh, go, to, uh, go to the book of 2 Corinthians. Let me again show you another contrast here that the scripture makes in, in defining repentance. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There's a passage here where Paul uses the word repent a lot. Uh, in fact, the word is used so much that in this passage that, that sometimes it's hard to work your way through the passage and figure out who's repenting about what. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now remember that 2 Corinthians is written as a follow-up to 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul writes, and 1 Corinthians is a harsh rebuke of that church at Corinth. There were a lot of things they were doing wrong. And it's a, it's a harsh rebuke. It's probably not as harsh a rebuke as what the book of Galatians is, 
uh, because, because the issues were different. But, but it's, again, it's this rebuke of them. And 2 Corinthians is written as a, as a follow-up, and that helps you to understand what Paul's talking about here in the passage. Uh, now, when Paul wrote to those Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, and he set some of these things in order, in some cases, they, they were so, so desirous to do what Paul told them in that letter. In some cases, they went overboard in, in what he had told them. And here he has to write back to them uh, and kind of tell them, okay, you know, it's good, it's good you did these things, but here's some things you need to kind of lay off a little bit on, right? But he, he writes here then, and he's addressing this letter and the response to the letter. Um, you see, he says that in verse 8, he says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Okay, so he made them sorry, right? He writes this letter and they are so affected by it that, you know, Paul's not happy with us, uh, which means because, because Paul has a revelation of God, that means God's not happy with us, uh, with our, you know, with our conduct here. Uh, he's correcting those things and they were made sorry. Right? He says, now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry. Or I'm sorry, verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now what he's saying there is apparently, after Paul finishes penning that first letter to the Corinthians, and he sends it off, Paul starts to think, maybe I was too hard on him, maybe I shouldn't have said, he, he, he says, though I did repent, he repented, he, he had some second thoughts about things that he had written, but then he says, now after he's seen the result, he says he doesn't repent, he, he, he doesn't repent for writing that letter. Um, he says in verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Now, you see how he just draws a distinction. He talked about his own repentance. He says he, he did repent, but now he doesn't repent. But he says that they were made sorry by his letter, and they sorrowed to repentance. Now, that tells you there's a difference between sorrow and repentance. They're not the same thing. You can be sorry for your sin and not repent, and you can be sorry, uh, you know, for, for dead works and not repent of the dead works. Um, here he says they, they were made sorry uh, and they sorrowed to repentance. And notice what he says in verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now you see there's two kinds of sorrow there in that, in that passage. Um, are, there, are there ungodly sinners in the world who have sorrow because of their own sin? Certainly there are. There's a worldly sorrow. There's a, there's a, natural, a natural sorrow. God has, has given man a conscience. Now, a conscience, you know, isn't a, a very good... It doesn't serve very well as an absolute indicator of right and wrong because it differs from person to person. But a conscience, you know, a person without Christ can sorrow over their sin... Um, people without Christ see things in their life that are wrong, that, that hurt other people, that hurt themselves, and, and they sorrow for those things. But it's a worldly sorrow. In fact, most of that tends to be not sorrowing just because of sinfulness, but sorrowing because of the results of sin. Sorrowing because of the way that sin uh, affects somebody's life. 
right? And, and kind of like, like the little kid who is sorry when he gets caught. Uh, he's not sorry he did the thing, but he's sorry he got, got caught, right? And, and that's what much of the sorrow of the world is. He says that the sorrow of the world worketh death. Why does it work death? Because all it does is condemn. All it does, it just brings, brings guilt and, and uh, condemnation and depression and, and those kinds of things. That's the sorrow of the world. That's what it works. But you see, there's a different kind of sorrow. There's a godly sorrow that works repentance. And you see, sorrow can lead to repentance, but don't confuse the two. Don't think that because somebody is sorry for something they've done, that they've really repented of that. Don't think that because somebody is is sorry, uh, for instance, when it comes to believing the gospel, just because somebody is sorry that they're a sinner doesn't mean that they have believe the gospel or that they have repented um, in the way that a passage like this describes. Now, here in this passage, Paul's not describing believing the gospel. He's describing uh, somebody who's already believed the gospel, who's already a believer, and yet they've been, you know, some of their, their uh, the ways that they're failing to glorify God have been pointed out, and they're sorrowing, but because it's a godly sorrow, you see, it worked repentance, which tells you that repentance is not just something for an unbeliever. In fact, there's much more repentance to be done by, by believers than, than unbelievers, okay? Um, in fact, believers need to be constantly repenting. Well, what does that word mean? If it doesn't mean just sorrow for sin, if it doesn't mean to turn from sin, what does it mean? And the reality is that the word, whether you look at the Hebrew word or the Greek word, it means to change your mind. Now, that's the definition that'll fit all the verses we've looked at. Right? When God said, it repenteth me that I've made my man on the earth, he changed his mind about it. Now, realize that repenting for God is very different than repenting for man, because God has foreknowledge. Uh, it's, not as if, it's not as if God didn't know the wickedness that was going to come on the earth as a result of man, but it's there in Genesis chapter 6 that God chooses to change his, his dealings with man, and rather than granting them that, you know, that uh, grace just to continue on in their sin, he destroys the earth. And it repents him. There's a change of attitude of God toward man on the earth, and rather than, than you know, granting them that space to continue on in their sin, he chooses to destroy the earth. Right? There's a, there's a change there. He does something he hadn't done before. Um, when God says that, you know, if he pronounces evil concerning a nation and they turn from their evil, he says he'll repent of the evil that he said, to do, he, said he was going to do to them. I remember the city of Nineveh and how the Lord had, had proclaimed evil against them. He was going to destroy that city because of their wickedness. And what happened when Jonah comes in there? It says they believed all of them. I mean, that's... Uh, I don't know there's ever been another time in history where you see an entire city repent like you have there at Nineveh. I can't think of another time recorded in the Bible. Uh, I can't think of a, a, of a time. I mean, it says there that everybody in that, in that huge city repented. I mean, that, if you just take it for what it says, um, basically it says from the king on down to the, to the lowly peasant, everybody repented. And God did not bring the condemnation on that city. He changed his mind. Now again, God, from God's perspective, he knew in advance that was going to happen. But from man's perspective, God had been saying he was going to do this. He was going to do this, you know, bring this condemnation on them. And there's a change and he doesn't bring the, the uh, judgment on them. Um, it, 
what you see here with the Corinthians is they didn't just sorrow because they had done some things wrong and they were pointed out to them, but they changed their mind about those things, right? Paul, when Paul says that he wrote the letter and then he repented, he changed his mind. It was too late then. I mean, there's no way to get the letter back after it's sent and there's a good thing because when Paul sees the result, he realizes he had to change his mind again, um, and, and that's the definition that fits in the scripture. Now, that's what Peter is telling these people in Acts 2 to do. Now, they had previously rejected Christ as the Messiah. They refused to acknowledge him as the Messiah. And Peter's telling them, you need to change your mind about that. You need to repent of that. Now, now, you know, we saw last time how as a nation, there was this, you know, this much greater uh, flow of events there and and you know there was a a broader sense in which they as a nation had to repent but they had to change their mind about who Christ was and who Jesus was that he was the Messiah when Peter says let all the house of Israel know assuredly that I have made the same Jesus Lord and Christ now they're confronted with that and what Peter's telling them to do is you need to change your mind about that The, the Greek word is metanoia it means to have another mind to have another mind about something. Um, and, and when you consider that definition, when somebody believes the gospel, do they have another mind? Do they change their mind about some things? You can't, you can't believe anything. If it's something you hadn't believed previously, and now you're going to believe it, that requires a change of mind, right? There, there's, you can't believe something that you previously rejected without changing your mind about it. Uh, is there a repentance that takes place when somebody believes the gospel of the grace of God? Absolutely there is, when you use the right definition. Now again, it's not this, this trying to pay off your sins through some system of penance. It's not that kind of thing. But there's a change of mind that's necessary. And not only that, for, for once somebody's become a believer, there's a constant repentance, a constant change of mind that needs to take place. When, when we come to the word of God, and we read something and it, and it confronts us like Paul's letter to the Corinthians confronted them about these things that they were doing that were, that were selfish, that were divisive, that were not glory, glorifying to God. The required response was that they would repent and they would change their mind and, and say, why would we want to do these things that instead of glorifying God actually, actually take away from, from uh, picturing who he is in our lives? Okay, and and repentance. It, when the scripture talks about renewing your mind, in um, go over to Romans chapter twelve. When Romans chapter twelve verses one and two, when it says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God." That renewing of the mind there is repentance. It's a changing of the mind. If you're going to renew something. You're going, to change, you're going to make it something else. If you're going to transform something, you're going to change it into something else. That, that's repentance he's describing there. And what he's describing is he's describing the process where when you come to the Word of God and the Word of God conflicts with your human reasoning and the Word of God points out things that are not glorifying to Christ and the Word of God teaches truth and it, and it comes into conflict with the way you think to renew your mind is to say, I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to change that. I'm going to think the way the Word of God says. You see, that's repentance. And not only is that something that takes place in salvation, that's something that is ongoing for the believer. Um, we, need to, we need to not, you know, very often it's, it's very easy for us to always try to be justifying various things, be, be justifying, uh, you know, all kinds of things in our lives. And, you know, we'll see that something is contrary to the word of God, but, you know, here's all the reasons why I have to do it this way. Um, repentance is to say, those reasons aren't valid. And the Word of God is what's valid. The Word of God is what's true. And that's what's going to shape my thinking. That's what's going to renew my mind. So that I'm going to, I'm going to face, I'm going to, to approach the circumstances of my life with the question, what does the Word of God say about it? Say, what does the Word of God say my response ought to be in this situation? Not what feels right to me. Not how was I brought up. Not, uh, you know, what, what can I justify but what does the Word of God say? Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608 608- Three three nine nine five two two. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.